the concept of bid'ah, unfortunately, it's become a very important <coughs> topic for a number of reasons. Inshallah, in the lecture today, I hope to make it clear exactly what is a bid'ah and what is the danger, or what are the dangers, I should say, of such bid'ah and why we should do our best to remedy the, the situation. Let me begin first by saying that the way of Islam is one. There's only one true Islam. There's no such thing as different versions of Islam, different brands of Islam. Whatever you want to call those different brands, there's no such way. Actually, Islam is one. The true path is one way. Well, the Prophet Muhammad in a hadith narrated by Abdullah bin Mas'ud, he said that the Prophet drew a straight line on the ground and he said, this is the path of Allah. And then he drew some lines to the left and to the right of it. And he said that these are errant paths. And on each one of these paths, there is the shaitan calling to it. And then the Prophet ﷺ read the verse, وَإِنَّ هَذَا صِرَاطِ مُسْتَقِيمًا فَاتَّبِعُوهُ وَلَا تَتَّبِعُوا الصُّبُولَ فَاتَّفَرَقُوا بِكُمْ عَنْ سَبِيلِ That this verily, this is my straight path, so follow it. And do not follow the other path that will take you away from the true path. And in fact, if we look in the Qur'an, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the truth, for example, with the word An-Nur, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the truth as, as being the light or the way as being the light, always juxtaposes or contrasts the singular, An-Nur, with the plural, Dhulumat. Singular for the truth, for the right way, and, sing, and plural for the ways that are deviant. Because the right way is one way. But the false ways are many. And in fact in the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, a well known hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said that this ummah would break up into 73 sects. And he said that each one of those sects would be in the hellfire except for one. And when he was asked, what is that one? He said, it is one that is following what I and my, and my companions are following today. So this verse in the Quran and this hadith of the Prophet ﷺ make it very clear that in fact, the way of Islam, there's only one real way of Islam, the way of the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. And any deviation from that is not another acceptable brand of Islam, but in fact, it is another errant path which the scholars, the ulama, call the way of Ahlul Bid'ah, or the way of the people of innovation. Now unfortunately, for many reasons, the concept of Bid'ah, what is a Bid'ah, why should we pose and so forth, is not always that clear to everyone. And there are some reasons for that. For example, sometimes you might 
hear this famous statement when you discuss some issue and you say and you conclude this is bid'ah, and someone will say, oh, but it is a good bid'ah. It's a good innovation. And this statement confuses lots of people. Well, secondly, also some people get confused because there's lots of things that we do nowadays that weren't done during the time of the Prophet Muhammad Lots of things have changed in this world. Does that mean that everything new now, everything that we do now that the Prophet didn't do during his lifetime is a bid'ah that we must avoid? So I think first, an important starting point is to define really what do we mean by bid'ah. And to define what is the concept, according to Ahl Sunnah al Jama'ah, what is the concept of bid'ah itself. And then, inshallah, we can move on to the dangers of bid'ah. And then, inshallah, the remedy. We don't want to leave without at least some uh, kind of remedy, inshallah. Different ulama, different scholars have given different definitions for the concept of bid'ah. Some of these definitions are not really very good and others are much better. What I mean by that, others are much more consistent with the proofs from the Qur'an and Hadith itself. In general, if we want to define bid'ah or heresy or innovation, we can define it. We can define it as any invented act, belief or path in the religion that is made to compete or resemble the Sharia and that is followed for the same purpose that the Sharia is supposed to be followed. Well, from this definition, from the statements of the Prophet Muhammad about al-bid'ah, about innovation, we can come up with some general concepts or some general ideas about bid'ah that explain this uh, this definition. The first aspect, and this is something very clear, although something that many people unfortunately dispute. The first aspect is that every bid'ah is dalala. Kullu bid'atin dalala. Every bid'ah is dalala. There's no such thing as a good bid'ah from the point of view of the Sharia. By the way, linguistically, bid'ah means something new, something that wasn't done before, something that didn't have a predecessor. But again, we're not talking about the linguistic meaning of the term. We're talking about from the Sharia point of view, what is defined as a bid'ah. And the Prophet ﷺ said, every bid'ah is dalala. And another hadith, he said, that every dalala is in the hellfire. Well, and the concept of dal being astray, being away from the straight path. If we go to the to, to the Quran and we see how Allah Subhanahu wa Taala uses the word dalala or dal, it is not being used for someone who commits a sin. It is not being used for someone who is making mistakes with respect to the deen. But in fact, it is being used in the Qur'an for those people who have strayed from the straight path, who have divided the religion and so on. So when the Prophet ﷺ said, Kullu bid'at in dalala, or every bid'at is a kind of dalala, or straying from the straight path, 
He's not just saying that every bid'ah is, is a sin, every bid'ah is wrong, and so on. He's saying something much greater than that. He's saying that every bid'ah is something that takes you away from the straight path. Every bid'ah is misguidance and erring and going away from the straight path. This, as I said, this term of dal or dalala as used in the Quran, Baddalin, for example, as we read, as we read in Surah Al-Fatiha, is not even used for sinners. But it is used for people who have strayed from the straight path. People who are going astray, away from the true path. So when the Prophet ﷺ said that every bid'ah is dalala, and this is not a minor thing. He's not just saying it's wrong, he's not just saying it's sin, but in fact he's saying that it is something that takes you away from the straight path. <clears throat> Secondly, the concept of bid'ah, second aspect of the concept of bid'ah in the Ahl sunnah wal Jama'ah is that the bid'ah is something that is performed as a way of pleasing or getting closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In other words, when someone follows a bid'ah, when someone follows something invented and created in the deen, he's claiming that this thing is bringing you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's claiming that this is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with. And this is one of the big differences between following a bid'ah and committing sins. And this is why, as, the, uh, as Ahmed ibn Hanbal once said, he said the, the greatest sinner or the fasiq from Ahl al-Sunnah al-Jama'ah is better than the most pious person from Ahl al-Bid'ah. Because at least the sinner, the one who commits sins, he knows that what he's doing is wrong. He's not saying that that thing is halal, it should be done and it's pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he knows it's wrong. But the one who's committing bid'ah is going against actually what the Prophet ﷺ said, what the Qur'an says, and is claiming that that thing that he is doing is a way of pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is the greatest, one of the greatest lies that you could commit. To say that some act is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you have no proof whatsoever from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that it is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So part of the concept of bid'ah is that the one who is doing it he claims that it is something approved by the, by the religion, something beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and something that takes you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is one of, by the way, one of the dividing points between what is a bid'ah and what isn't a bid'ah. Or thirdly, is that bid'ah can be both in actions as well as in avoiding something. That probably needs some further elaboration. <laughs> In other words, that some people might create some act and say that if you do this act, you will get such and such reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and so on. That is a bid'ah in creating an act. But in the same way, if someone avoids something and claims that by avoiding that thing, he is pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is also bid'ah if he has no proof for it in the Quran wa Sunnah. And if, for example, during the time of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu when the, when the three people who said, the one who said that he would uh, pray every night, all the night, the other one who said he would fast every day, and the other one who said he would not marry. Perhaps the closest, the clearest one is the one who does not marry. Marriage is something legal in the, in the Sharia, something approved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If someone like what we see in Christianity, the, the monks and the priests, 
and unfortunately we find it among some Sufi groups in Islam. Someone claims that by not marrying, he's pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is bid'ah. So bid'ah can be also can be in an action, or it could be in intentionally avoiding something. For example, nowadays in the United States we have lots of vegetarians who said, oh, we shouldn't kill anything, we shouldn't kill any live creature, so therefore we shouldn't eat meat. And unfortunately, Muslims come to Islam, American Muslims come to Islam with everything they had before. <laughs> and this idea might still be in their mind that that's, that is a living soul that Allah created and so forth. And they might still think, well, maybe it's best if we don't eat it. No. If you say that by not eating it and avoiding meat, for example, you are pleasing Allah or you're doing a good thing, this is bid'ah. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed the eating of meat and so on. So it could be in an action or it could be in what you're avoiding on purpose. Uh, fourthly, is it fourth? Wait up, brother. <laughs> I know. <laughs> fourth, anything related to the Sharia. Uh, in other words, the Sharia is com- or comprises aqidah, beliefs, acts of worship, acts of muamalat or business dealings. Anything in the Sharia could have a bid'ah created and related to it. In other words, bid'ah is not just in aqidah and beliefs. It is not just in worship, but also could be in, in business dealings. If someone says, for example, that uh, anytime Muslims contract a deal, a business deal, if they kiss each other's hands, I'm bringing some ridiculous uh, <laughs> examples, but suppose someone would say that it is good if you kiss each other's hand after business dealing, Allah will bless that business dealing. So the people do it on the, on the basis that this is something pleasing to Allah, this is bid'ah. It's not related to aqidah as such necessarily. It's not related to acts of worship, but it is still bid'ah. So anything related to the sharia, whether it is aqidah, beliefs, or whether it is acts of worship, or whether it is mu'amalat, the business dealings, anything related to the sharia, someone could create a bid'ah related to it also. And finally, the the last aspect of the concept of bid'ah, or mafhum bid'ah in the Ahl sunnah wal jama'ah, is that the bid'ah is something that has no source specifically for it in the in the in the uh, in the sources, <laughs> and the sources are the Quran, wa Sunnah, wal Ijma' or consensus, and also the actions of the of the of the Sahaba. This is the concept, or these are some of the uh, aspects of bid'ah. Or some of the understanding of bid'ah with respect uh, to the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah based on the hadith of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and based on the, on the Quran itself. Well, if we really want to think about what bid'ah is exactly, and to come up with something new in the religion, and to claim that that thing is something good, we should do it, and it's pleasing to Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. And if you think of bid'ah in this, in this sense, you'll see really how dangerous it is, how wrong it is, and how much we should oppose it, and how much we should hate it. Because the one who creates a bid'ah, and the one who is following a bid'ah, he is saying that there is some shortcoming in the deen. There is something, there is some way to get to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is some way to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that is not found in the Quran or the sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu that's actually what the people of Bid'ah are saying. 
that they have found a way to believe or to act or to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that is better than the way that the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did it. That is really what they're saying. In essence, that is what bid'ah is all about. They're claiming that there's something missing from the deen, so they add something to it, or the deen has too much, so they take something away. This is really what bid'ah is all about. That there's something missing from the deen. The deen, as the Prophet Muhammad practice it, as found in his sunnah, as found in the, in the, in his, in the Quran, is not sufficient for them. They want something more, they want something better. And so they turn to their bid'ah, or they create some bid'ah. Well, thought about in that way, and understood in that way, we should realize then, that it is, in essence, an insult to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to say that He could not reveal His religion perfectly, or that He could not teach the Prophet ﷺ the best way to teach us, and that we have to look for some better way than what the Prophet ﷺ did. It is also a denial of what the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself says in the Quran. On this day I have perfected and completed your religion for you. It is also a denial of what the Prophet Muhammad said. He said that there's nothing that takes you closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala except I have ordered you to do it. And there's nothing that takes you further away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala except that I have prohibited you from doing it. But these people who make these creations, who invent these things, this bid'ah, throughout the history, whether they are, as I said, in beliefs or actions or whatever, they are claiming, when they are claiming that somehow they have some way in some action that it is be- that is better than what is found in the Quran and what is found in the hadith of Muhammad and it should be part of our love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and our love for His Messenger and our love for His Deen that we hate any kind of innovation. That we hate the idea that anyone will come and say I have a way of life that is more pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and better than the way of life of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu If anyone doesn't hate that and doesn't hate even the idea of such people claiming such things then their love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and his deen and his prophet is not correct. This part of our love, an aspect of our love for the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that we defend his sunnah, we defend his sunnah as being the best way to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the way of life that all of us must follow if we want to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But in, in essence, that is what bid'ah is all about. Some people wonder how come some Muslims, they get so upset with the idea of bid'ah. That they talk about bid'ah a lot and they talk about how we have to stop bid'ah. It is because they understand, if you want to know the truth, why someone gets so upset about bid'ah. I will tell you it's because they understand the religion and they understand what bid'ah is actually saying. That in fact, the religion that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed, the way of life of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu is not sufficient, is not complete. As I said, it is an insult to Allah and to His Messenger. But if the dangers, if the dangers of bid'ah, as, as Sheikh Mahmoud Shaltut wrote in his book on bid'ah, if the dangers of bid'ah were restricted simply to the person who follows an innovation, 
then maybe we could take it easy a little bit. <laughs> maybe we could not get as upset or as worried about it as we do. But in fact, the dangers of bid'ah and the harms and the evil effect of bid'ah spreads from that person, not just that person, but also the people he's around, the people who follow him, the ummah as a whole, and also the deen as a whole. All of these are affected by the people of bid'ah because of their heresy and because of their innovations. One of the greatest evil effects of bid'ah and of Ahlul bid'ah as Imam Ash-Shaqabi discusses in detail throughout his work Al-I'tasam which is one of the most important books you can read if you want to understand the uh, the concept of bid'ah one of the greatest harmful effects is that they are I should say they cause this unity in the ummah it is because it is first and foremost because of Ahl al-Bid'ah that there is disunity and division and fractionalization among this Ummah. And this is clear and we can see it throughout the history that all of the Sahaba they were following the way of the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam, and they all loved each other and they all cared for and helped each other even even when they had a difference of ijtihad after the death of Uthman and so on even when they had a difference of ijtihad and that difference of ijtihad was to them so important that it threatened they, they considered that, that it threatened the ummah the life of the ummah and they were willing to fight one another for the sake of Islam even when that occurred at the same time they still had the complete love and mercy that believers are supposed to have for one another. You can find in the books of history that they used to fight one another, the supporters of Ali and the supporters of Muawiyah, and at the same time they used to take hadith from one another. Some of them used to fight during the day and pray together at night. They used to marry their daughters, for example, to one another. And it was a difference in al-ijtihad. But when it comes to Ahl al-Bira, the situation is completely different. The situation when it comes to Ahl al-Bid'ah is completely different. The people are following the Sunnah and they invent something new. And the Prophet Muhammad said that there will always be a group of his Ummah following the truth. And these people will always disagree and not accept the way of Ahl al-Bid'ah. So the people were following one way, they were united, they had the love and mercy for one another. And the Ummah began to split and it split because of Bid'ah. People brought new things into the religion, whether it was beliefs or actions or whatever, and those who believed in the truth and wanted to support the truth were not willing to accept what they did, so therefore they had to oppose them. And the same thing is true today. When we see people going clearly against the Quran and Sunnah in the name of Bid'ah and so on, it is our duty to oppose them. And one of the strangest statements you can find is that the Muslim Ummah should forget about its differences and come together for the sake of unity and to fight the kuffar. That sounds nice in theory. And in theory, sounds nice. But in fact, Muslims, the true Muslims, the people who are really following the Quran and Sunnah, 
Their only goal is to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to stand up for the truth. And the only way they can be united with anyone is if that person also accepts the truth and follows the way of the Qur'an and the way of the Prophet But if that person refuses to follow the way of the truth, how do you expect them to have unity? And unity because we call each other Muslims, but you don't want to follow the Qur'an and Sunnah? And this is impossible. And this is one of the greatest, as I said, one of the greatest evil effects of Ahl al-Bid'ah is that they are in essence the cause for the division and the breaking up of this Ummah. And in fact, Imam al-Shatabi, he shows that all of those verses in the Qur'an that discuss any of those people in the previous days who, who broke up their Ummah, uh, their, the, their, their Ummah is fine, <laughs> into different sects, he said these are all in fact the same as Ahl al-Bid'ah. Secondly, Bid'ah is the cause of fitna for this Ummah. A cause of trials and tests for this Ummah. Or a cause of severe punishment. Because by, by definition, the people of Bid'ah they are refusing to follow the command the order and the way of the Prophet Muhammad And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَلْيَحْذَرِ الَّذِينِ خَالِفُونَ عَنْ أَمْرِهِ أَنْ تُصِيبُهُمْ فِتْنَةٌ أَوْ يُصِيبُهُمْ عَذَابٌ عَذَابٌ أَلِيمًا عَذَابٌ أَلِيمًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this verse in the Quran and I believe uh, Sheikh Ali al-Hazm, yesterday he read this verse. The verse is saying that for those people who are differing from the command of the Prophet Muhammad then there will come to them either a fitna and a test or trial from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or a severe punishment. One time Imam Malik he was asked about someone who puts on the ihram as you know, when you go to Hajj, there are certain places, depending on where you come from, that you're supposed to put on the ihram. So this person was leaving from Medina, and he asked Imam Malik, he said, what's the harm if I put on the ihram from the Prophet's mosque instead of from the appointed place? And Imam Malik, he said, that I fear for that person that some fitna will come to him. I said, why? I'm just adding a little bit to the <laughs> to the boundaries of the ihram. Instead of putting it on there, I'm putting it on a little bit early. But by doing so, you are going against the command of the Prophet Muhammad So Imam Malik read this verse. And he said, by going against the command of the Prophet Muhammad either you will be afflicted by a fitna. I didn't, I didn't ask for anything to... Uh... <laughs> Thirdly also, bid'ah is a source of fasad, a source of evil in the ummah. If we look at the sharia, the laws of the Quran and sunnah, it is meant for the well-being, the happiness of mankind, both in this dunya and in the hereafter. And any time we stray from the true teachings, 
and we accept any laws other than the laws and the way of the Quran and Sunnah, then we are missing that maslaha or that well-being, and instead we are replacing it with fasad. So the people of Ahl al-Bid'ah, by introducing new ways and so on, they are actually changing the way of life that will bring them maslaha or the most happiness in this life and the year after for a way that will not bring them uh, that maslaha in this world nor in the here. Well, fourthly also, al-bid'ah causes the sunnah to die. And in essence, whenever people create bid'ah, Usually that bid'ah is replacing some sunnah. Usually that bid'ah is replacing some sunnah. Or adding to some sunnah and so on. To the point that the sunnah is not practiced correctly. Well, Ibn Abbas, he said that when bid'ah is created, then the sunnah dies. And this continues until the sunnah, the bid'ah is living and the sunnah is dead. And you can see it, if you look at some of the groups of Ahl al-Bidah, you'll find nothing from the Sunnah among them. Well, Hassan, Hassan ibn Atiyah, one of the Tabi'een, he said when the people accept the Bidah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala removes the Sunnah from them and doesn't return it to them until the Day of Judgment. So in fact, one of the evil effects of the Bidah is that by allowing bid'ah to live or by introducing innovations and heresies, we are actually causing the sunnah to die. And at the same time, and related to that, is it causes hatred for the sunnah. And if people are following a way of life and they're saying, this is the way we have to follow, and then when people come with the real sunnah from the Prophet Muhammad and say, no, let's not do this, let's do this, they'll say, no, we don't want to do that way. We don't like that way. And because they've convinced themselves that this way is better, and that other way perhaps is the way of the foolish, or it is the way of those people who are not Ahlillah or Ahl al-Khas, if you want to use some of their, <laughs> some of their terms. And you can see it many times. You can see, for example, if you're living in a, in a city where you have a mosque, and alhamdulillah, in that mosque, the sunnah is being performed, you'll find the Ahl al-Bidah, they hate to come to that mosque. They will not come to that mosque in general. If they can avoid it, by any means they'll avoid it. And this is just because as bid'ah grows in the heart, it makes a hatred for the sunnah. And then related to that, of course, it makes it dangerous and hard for people to follow the sunnah. When people then, after bid'ah is spread and people start to accept it, when people start saying this is wrong, we should follow the way of the sunnah from Muhammad they'll be opposed. People will fight them, people will make it hard for them to do what is correct. And if the mosque will be set up, dhikr will be made and, and things will be done, everything that goes against the sunnah. Things will be written, everything that goes against the sunnah, making it difficult. And they will put pressure on the one who is following the truth to change his ways. Imam al-Tabari, for example, one time, the uh, famous uh, Mufassir, uh, commentator on the Quran, uh, also historian, muhaddif and so on. Someone, somehow he wrote a poem, <coughs> don't remember the wording of it exactly, but he's saying basically that the Prophet Muhammad is sitting on the right side of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the throne. 
وإمام الطبري he wrote the poem in answer to that and he put it on his door and he said that I believe in Allah the one upon whose throne there's no one sitting on the right side and he put it and he put it on his door what was the result? the people of the city came and pelted his house with stones such as he was driven temporarily alhamdulillah driven out of the city and that's what happens when the bid'ah spreads there becomes hatred for the sunnah and it becomes very hard for those people who wish to follow the sunnah uh, to follow the sunnah and even and related to that point is that even if there are sincere people who want to follow the sunnah and if the people of bid'ah confuse them so much and mix the truth with falsehood and follow the mutashabihat of the Quran and so forth to such an extent that even those people who are sincere and want to follow the truth they will not be able to follow the truth. They'll be so confused by the people of Bid'ah and their arguments and so on that they'll end up following the way of Bid'ah even though in their hearts and inshallah in the hereafter Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will judge them according to their intention. But they can be so confused by Ahlul Bid'ah that they won't even be able to see the truth anymore. And although they're sincere to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they will be pulled into the trap uh, following uh, Bid'ah. And also an important point is that bid'ah is a stepping stone to kufr. Bid'ah is a stepping stone to kufr. One of the early scholars, his name is Al, Al if I remember how to pronounce his name correctly, Al Barbahari. Is that right? One of the companions of Ahmed ibn Hanbal. He said, be aware of bid'ah. Because every bid'ah started out as something small and resembling the truth. And people were fooled by it and followed it. Until it became bigger and bigger and they were entrapped by it. And it took them out of Islam. And bid'ah many times began as something small. And which if it's not stopped, it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. In fact, Ibn Taymiyyah has... A very nice passage in one of his books showing that in fact the kufr of the Jews and Christians is because of bid'ah. And if they introduced new things into their religion and those things took them completely away from the message of Musa salam and from the message of Isa salam. Perhaps it's the clearest in the case of the Christians and all their beliefs about Son of God and so forth that they were Muslims would say this is Ahlul Bid'ah. And this is extreme Ahlul Bid'ah that took them into kufr. So in fact, as Ibn Taymiyyah pointed out, as I said, the, uh, and the, actually the, the, the kufr, the kufr of the Jews and Christians started with bid'ah. And it got to the point that, that it got. And finally, with respect to the ummah as a whole, with respect to the ummah as a whole, bid'ah hurts the spreading of Islam and the da'wah for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it hurts it in many ways. We don't have time to discuss all the ways, but one of the ways, the clearest ways, is that usually these groups of bid'ah, their strange ideas and their strange practices, these are used by the enemies of Islam to portray Islam as this is Islam. You know, how many times, for example, if you put on the TV and you watch, you know, the so-called educational station, I guess there's no truth in advertising anymore. The, the educational station, usually, for example, many times when they talk about Islam, who will they show? 
they'll show Sufis making dhikr, the whirling dervish and so forth. They'll bring beliefs and say this is what Islam believes, when in fact these are what Ahl al-Bid'ah believe and have nothing to do with Islam. And they're almost setting these up as a, as a, as a, as a, as a straw man fallacy that you can just set these things up and this is what Islam believes. And so therefore when people look at it, of course they will not be, appe- will not be appealing to them. This is not what the fitrah, the fitrah is the real Islam. And when they see this nonsense, and they will not be attracted to Islam. Perhaps even clear is the example here in the United States. How many times have you seen Farhan and his group uh, presented as Islam? And they talk about their teachings as the teachings of Islam. Do you think anyone who's really looking for the truth is going to accept that stuff? And this is all part of the dangers and the damage that Ahl al-Bidah has, uh, has brought about. Well, I don't think I have much time left, do I? I have a half hour left, I don't think so. <laughs> did, your, did your watch stop some time ago? <laughs> no, because we have many questions. Let me just quickly then, I will talk about, those were the dangers for the ummah as a whole. Let me just quickly mention, and these are all based on hadith that we don't have time to make the complete takhrij uh, for these hadith. <laughs> But uh, basically for the dangers for the individual, his bid'ah will be rejected. His bid'ah and therefore him will be in the hellfire. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts a barrier between him and tawbah and repentance. Him and his supporters are cursed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with malaika. In the hereafter they will be turned away from the... From the... Now, what is it in English? From the cistern or the, the fountain of the Prophet Muhammad They'll be turned away from that. Their deeds will be rejected as long as they commit that bid'ah. There are people who in this dunya think that they're doing good and in the hereafter they'll find that there's no benefit to what they're doing and such they are, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls them, the greatest losers. Well, also they will bear the burden of their bid'ah and their sin as well as the burden of anyone who follows them in their bid'ah. Now with respect to the remedy, what are some of the things that can be done? I think the first point, the first point, especially what I've seen here in the United States, the first point is that we <coughs> who call ourselves Ahl al-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah, we who claim to be following the Quran wa sunnah we first of all have to realize the danger of bid'ah and how it is an obligation upon us to hate and oppose bid'ah. One of the strangest things that you'll see in this country, and probably you'll see it in other countries, I'm talking from my experience, is that if some brothers, for example, in a mosque, see some, for example, Ahl al-Bid'ah, some people belonging to certain bid'ah, and they are performing, and they are spreading their bid'ah in their mosque, and they say, we should do something to stop these people. Usually the first people who come to the defense of Ahl al-Bidah are those people who claim to be from Ahl al-Sunnah wal-Jama'ah. They'll defend them, they say, no, they are brother Muslims, uh, they should have freedom to do what they want, we cannot impose, and such and such and such and such. And it is not from Islam at all. If they're doing something clearly that goes against the Quran wa Sunnah, there's no such thing as hurriya or freedom that they can come to the mosque and do whatever they want. 
But this is all because we are lacking in our understanding of bid'ah and what bid'ah really is. That we'd actually defend bid'ah in the name of freedom or in the name of whatever. And this is, I said, this is one of the, the biggest diseases I've seen that those people who claim to be from Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, they are usually, or sometimes they are the first people to defend bid'ah and to defend the people's right to commit bid'ah. So we ourselves, who claim to be from Ahlul Sunnah wal Jama'ah, the first point is we ourselves have to realize what bid'ah is exactly and what is our obligation towards bid'ah. Well, secondly, we have to make Al-amad min ma'roof wa nahyan al-munkar. Ordering good and eradicating what is evil. And that we, if we see a munkar, and bid'ah is a kind of munkar. Bid'ah is a kind of munkar. doesn't matter if it's been established since the time of Imam Jafar or Imam Zayd or whatever you want to say. As long as the bid'ah goes against the Quran and Sunnah, it is a munkar. And the Prophet ﷺ has clearly told us that if we see a munkar, and we have the ability to change it with our hands, then we must do so. Otherwise, with our tongues, if we have the ability, otherwise, we must hate it in our heart, and that is the least. That is the least of Iman. So we have to take the step, we have to realize that it is an obligation upon us to order what is good and eradicate what it is, is evil, and to take the steps to remove that evil. And of course, that depends a lot on the situation that we're in. If we're, leader, if we're the leader of a mosque and we have control over a mosque, then it's our obligation to make sure that the people of Bid'ah are not, are not given a platform to speak. They're not allowed to spread their Bid'ah in the mosque or so. If we write a lot, if we translate a lot, we have to do our best also in our writings. If we have the ability to change the munkar through our hands, through our writings, or through our tongue, through our writings, we should then change it and so on. And even it gets to the point, as the, as the scholars discussed, that it is even, in some case, an obligation or a step to make hijrah from those people who make bid'ah. And to boycott them, to avoid them, not even to make salam to them. That is one of the steps that is to be taken with respect to Ahl al-Bid'ah or the people of bid'ah, depending, of course, on the situation. You don't want to find someone who's making bid'ah and drive him, for example, here in the United States, you boycott him so he goes to hang out with the kuffar or something like that. <laughs> Take some wisdom, and you have to realize the situation uh, completely. And finally, we must educate ourselves to understand what is the Sunnah of the Prophet Muhammad how important it is uh, for us to follow the correct teachings of the Quran and Sunnah, and to learn what is in fact bid'ah, what isn't bid'ah, and to do, inshallah, what is not uh, bid'ah. Finally, the Bid'ah is not something that we can ignore, it's not something theoretical, it's something that we see all around us, and it is our obligation, inshallah, to do our best to strive against it. And this is part of our duty to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who says in the Quran, وَجَهِدُوا فِي اللَّهِ حَقَّ jihad To strive in, in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as His, his right. وَأَقُولُ قُلِّ هَذَا وَاسْتَغْفِرُ اللَّهُ لِي وَلَكُمْ